Hey everyone, and welcome to today's show. Now, I imagine there are some of you out there who are not where they want to be financially right now. You may have decent income, but the whole wealth creation thing is lacking. In fact, you might not know where to start, but you're an entrepreneur, and by sheer definition of that, that's about solving problems, right? Well, <laughs> we have a saying in Australia for this sort of thing. That saying is, she'll be right, mate, and that means in, in every other part of the world, it's not a problem. Or is it? Hmm. Listen, don't despair. Today's guest on Scale Up with Nick Bradley has you covered. Very, very covered. Now, he's a humble guy and he won't say this, but Mel Abraham, today's guest, is the world's number one authority on business success, financial freedom, and affluence. How do we empower people? How do we give them the skills? How do we give entrepreneurs the skills to not be on the treadmill and to be on the life wheel? He has been called the thought leader to thought leaders and is the financial expert to Fortune 500 companies, as well as people such as Ariana Huffington, Brendan Bouchard, and one of my mentors, Tony Robbins. So today we are going to get right into his philosophies, his strategies, his tactics, as well as his awesome best-selling book, The Entrepreneur's Solution, The Modern Millionaire's Path to More Profit, Fans and Freedom. We take a path and we believe that that, that is the path for the rest of our lives and, and we're very reluctant to let others down, but in the process we're willing to let ourselves down. And then we are going to do what I would call a full 180 degree U-turn. You see, Mel is also a recent cancer survivor. And we get into what it's like to be ultra successful, then get kicked in the guts, literally, face the possibility of death, and then have to build it all back. Like, it's the ultimate curveball. Now, to quote Mel, we are all placed here to create a legacy beyond acquiring, achieving, and accomplishing. But by connecting at a meaningful level and imp impacting lives through our businesses, our services, and ideals each and every day, that makes the biggest difference. Welcome to Scale Up with Nick Bradley, Mr. Mel Abraham. Hi, everybody. It is Nick Bradley here again. Welcome to the show. I have got I've been, I'm super excited about this conversation. Um, I say that when I'm overexcited. <laughs> I get like a giddy kid sometimes. Uh, but my guest today um, has such an amazing belief and vision in terms of entrepreneurship, but just not from what the business side of that is, but the bigger impact side of that. And I talk about scale up on this show. This guy talks about scale up and has done so for years at a very, very high level. So I'm super excited and grateful to have on the show with me today, Mr. Mel Abraham, welcome. Hey, Nick, it's it's good to be here, man. Thanks for having me. No, this is cool. This is really cool because I mean, you know, you've I, I said before, we, just before we started recording, we're talking about you know there is definitely some synergy between what we believe in. You know, I'm all about. I talk about entrepreneurial freedom. You talk about entrepreneurial liberation. Let me yeah. kind of get into that today. But before we get into that, I mean, how did you how did you discover this this mission that you have now? You've been doing it for such a long time. What was the spark? So if I go really back to, to the first time was really at 11 years old, I had no idea what entrepreneurship was, but literally at 11 years old, um, I was watching a, a movie with Tony Curtis and Janet Lee, uh, Harry, about the life of Harry Houdini. Oh, wow. I was sitting cool. there with my dad 
and, and I, I got fascinated with this guy that no chains could hold. And yet he was able to create this persona and he was able to create this brand and he was able to do these things. So I started studying and reading and, and everything. And I started a fascination with magic. And I literally, there was a magic shop miles away across the valley. I would take the bus to the magic shop every day and as, a, as an 11 year old. You wouldn't do that with your kids today, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, my, mine are pretty independent, mind you. They'd want to do it, whether, whether yeah. I'd actually let them do that. But oh uh, okay, this is cool. This, this is one of those things, just, just interject slightly. So what normally happens when someone comes on the show is you get and get some information on them. It's like called a one sheet, right? And there's all these fascinating facts. There's nothing about magic on your one sheet. <laughs> no, there isn't, there isn't. Um, <laughs> But I was sitting in the magic shop. I would go there every day and I was learning magic. And this guy comes in and he talks about he just did a, a gig and I'm and he got paid. I, and I look at the owner of the magic shop and say, What's a gig? What I mean, and he says, Oh yeah. He says, I said, You can get paid doing what you love. And he says, Yeah. So oh, I go, cool. okay. So I put together a, a half hour, 20, 25 minute magic show that I started to get paid at 11 years old. Now we'll go back. So it's 1972. Um, at 11 years old, I was getting paid $50 for a half hour magic show for kids' birthday parties. And I was like going, wait a second, this, and my dad was a, a, a chemical plastics aerospace engineer. So he was taking the carpool an hour and a half each way. And I'm thinking, I get to, I get to go do what I want to do. The things that I love to do, I get paid for it and put smiles on people's faces, affect their lives. I go, that's what I want to do. And that's when I, I really kind of said, some way, somehow, my future is going to be affecting people's lives and doing it in my own way. And so the spark really came from that movie and my love of magic at, at 11 years old. Was there any, was there around you at that time, were anyone else in your, in your family circle or around that that kind of inspired you into this world of entrepreneurship at a young age? There, there was not at that age, as I started to get older, there was a cousin of mine who had his own business. He was actually a CPA. He was an entrepreneurial CPA and doing investments. And he, I actually went to work for him and intern for him. And he was the other one that if there was someone that was a catalyst who kept saying, go to the big firms, get your education, get your yep. experience, do the things to really skill up and then go do it your way on your own. And, and so, so, so I would say that that was the other, the other catalyst that kind of moved me through while I was going through my uh, college years to, to always have the eye on, on it's time to move yeah, on. Cause that must've been interesting because I mean, similar story to me, I, I started a business and sold a business when I was very young, sort of late teens, early twenties. And then I went into the world of corporate for years, like, you know, high level media businesses, um, private equity, all that. And until I decided, what am I doing? But um, that's not, it's not, it's not my interview, it's yours. Um, but that must've been quite disciplined, right? Because like, if you've started to have an entrepreneurial spark, right? I find quite often that you, you a lot of the people I speak to, they tend to keep doing that. They, 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 they lean into that and they avoid sometimes the education and all those things, which I agree with you hundred percent, the foundations are really important. So, so what happened there? Was that like, you know, you were really clear that I'm going to do this for a period of time, skill up everything you said, and then start to get back into that more, more entrepreneurial area. You know, I actually went in as a CPA. I went to school, I ended up getting my accounting degree and went to one of the large consulting firms in downtown 
And I, I actually thought, oh, this is cool. I can do that. I'm going to help businesses. I'm going to do those things. But then ultimately what I realized is about five years into it, it was uh, late at night. It was at 10 o'clock at night on a Friday night. I'm working late again, staring out the skyline. I go, this, pardon the expression, <laughs> I go, this sucks. This is, this is my <laughs> life. They're, they're working me to the bone. I'm not having the impact. I have these skills. I have this thing inside of me that is drawing and pulling me forward. And I, and I thought about, I sat there in, in the offices and thought about it for a while saying, how many people will just cap that? that yearning and just say, no, you, you took this accounting path or you took this other path. And so you need to stay on this path and not, not step out of, out of the way. And I said, I've never done that. I've always been the one that, that when they tell me I can't do something, I go, let me show you. Uh, so, so it was actually that very night I went in and quit and, and said, I'm, I'm done. I'm meant for bigger. I'm meant for more. And, uh, and so I, I left, I left the firm and really would. So this is not the best way to do this as an entrepreneur. Yeah, I didn't really have a plan. I didn't have a strategy. <laughs> I had an impulse, an emotional impulse. And when you make emotional decisions, sometimes your intellect goes down. So um, what does is, what is Tony Robbins say? Burn the boats or something like that, which yeah. I, I always, when people ask me about that, I say, well, don't, don't be so rash as to burn the boats. <laughs> be strategic, plan when you're going to burn the boat, which you know, some people think, oh, that's boring, right? But you know what? There's, there's a difference between committed and reckless. Yes. <laughs> so how did you feel though? Because, you know, back to that point of, um, and, and I want to kind of go a little bit deeper on this question is the self-belief, confidence, trust in yourself to say, you know what, I'm just going to make that decision. How did you feel at that point in time? Did you have a lot of that inside you already or did you just literally jump into it and then have to work it out? I, you know, I think that first there was trepidation and fear, but yeah. I think what drove me more was, was looking at, at that same night, looking around and seeing some of the partners and the people working there and saying, that's the life that's in store for me. And so the, yeah. the, wow. the pain of staying there was far greater than the uncertainty of, of taking, the, taking the leap. And they told me, you know, you're on the fast track to partnership. Why would you do this? You're totally screwing up your career. You're to we've got you doing these things. And, and I said, here's the thing. I may screw up my career. And this is the thing that I think kept me going is, is that I looked at it and said, but if I'm going to screw it up, let's make sure that I screw it up when I'm young enough to fix it. And, and so I, I literally, I left and I, and I had no plans. I literally cashed in my retirement plan, which again is not a smart thing to do. And I moved to Japan and lived in Japan for, for four or five months uh, training in the martial arts until I figured out what the heck I wanted to do when I came back to the States. And, uh, but it was one of those reckless things. My poor mother was like, what are you thinking? Um, but in uh, I love the story, it all though. worked out. I love this. I mean, well, uh, there's, there's something about and again, I, you know, I, I can't put any science behind this, right? So, so I won't even try. But there's something about leaning into what you really want to do, right? And I'm a big believer that if you love what you do, right, it, it, it's not work, first and foremost. You would do it forever. The idea of retirement doesn't really exist in my frame, right? Yeah. Um, and it kind of works out because you know, you're, you're, every day you're waking up and you're doing the thing you're supposed to do. And I, similar thing, just to kind of share a very small story, is when I decided to change what I'm doing from what I was doing, the, the image in my head was when I used to get on a train, a, a tube, as we call it here in the UK, 
and you'd see all these people's faces. Like literally they were dead. Yeah. And then I sort of realized that I was one of them. And, and like, is this what's going to happen for the next 20 or 30 years of, of what would be considered productive work to, you know, some retirement age. And that sort of hit me like a ton of bricks in many, many ways, not just yeah. as simply as I'm saying it, but it's a very similar thought, but a lot of people, that's what they do. They never change. Why do you think that's the case other than just fear? Is it just fear or is there something else there? I, I think that, that it's actually some level of peer pressure, a societal pressure, mm-hmm. expectations yep. um, in the sense that we pick a path. And I think that we believe now back in the day in the industrial age, you know, you'd get into a, a, a company and you'd work for 30, 40, 50 years, retire, get your pension and move on. And, and that's it. But, but we take a path and we believe that that, that is the path for the rest of our lives. And, and we're very reluctant to let others down, but in the process, we're willing to let ourselves down. And, and yeah. I think that's, that's a travesty versus sitting back and saying, look, I want to do this. This is what's what's driving me. If I do it, like you said, strategically smart, um, and I'm not harming anyone. I don't. I don't have kids that are hungry at home. I don't have. You know, I'm not. I'm doing it smart. Then why not? Why not? Because the level of weight that comes from regret is far greater than than any other pain. When you start to get to those latter years of our life, is is this. In, in 2019, I got diagnosed with cancer and, and I started to look at my life and I started to say, am I living true to what I want to be, true to who I am? And there were some things in my life, people asked, how did the cancer change you? And I said, I can say no to things a lot easier because, uh. and they go, what? And I said, here's what I realized. We're all given a certain number of slices of life. We don't know how many slices of life. I hope it's thousands and thousands of slices of life. But when mortality stares you in the face, when you start to look at it and say, I don't know how many slices I have left, is it a handful or is it a boat full? I better make sure that when I say yes to things, that it's what I want to say yes to because I'm giving a slice of my life away that I'll never get back. I mean, you and I having this time, the listeners that are listening to this, they're giving a slice of their life to us. And, and that I think we need to not take so lightly. And sometimes we get so caught up in how do we acquire the wealth? How do we acquire the, the money that we, we waste our time to try and get the money. And yet what's the most precious commodity? is our time and how we spend it. And so I think that we get caught up in this idea of living true to what other people want, what society says, what your degree says, and not what that yearning and what that desire is inside. I think that's the reason why, you know, the movie, The Matrix and that whole red and blue pill, which gets overused. It's what's why it's such a fantastic metaphor for for what happens. But I do want to go into, um, first and foremost, you survived the cancer within 18 months. So I want to understand that changes you made to you and how you thought there must be a whole heap of things that, but to that question about, you know, you got better at saying no or more intentional about saying yes. Right. Yes. What, but did you change, did you change your mission was still the same? Cause you've been doing this for a while, right? The stuff yeah. that you do, you helping entrepreneurs, helping people create wealth and impact and all those things. But what, what sort of things did you start saying no to? I'm just curious. So first off, I, I had to say yes to something in my life. And something that that a number of friends and people 
around me had been pushing me towards to do and I kept resisting it in the sense of helping helping entrepreneurs find financial independence and freedom yep. and live that affluent life and and I I helped people one on one I didn't hadn't created programs my son is 31 his wife's 28 they've got three homes they've got uh, a seven figure net worth that they just we just just had our first grandchild this this past Monday. So I'm a granddad. Oh, congratulations. So a little girl. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but what happened is I was resisting it because I said, I don't want to get pushed back into the CPA world. And yet with the cancer, I fought the cancer physically. I fought it emotionally, spiritually, energetically, psychologically, all of it. But I didn't fight it financially. And it was that paired with the pandemic that came up and watching people struggle financially that shined the light on this is why they were pushing me to have these conversations more openly about money, about wealth, about financial independence and doing it the right way as an entrepreneur. And until I was willing to say yes to that and take on the role that I think I've been called to do, then I was living at a level just below where I should be. And so I had to say yes to myself first and own the journey and own what it could mean for other folks when we serve them and say, am I truly giving at the level that I should? And, and the answer, frankly, was as impactful as the past may have been, it wasn't as impactful as it could have been. And so that's why I stepped into a, I tried to step into a bigger role and say, let's talk, let's have these conversations about a taboo subject that shouldn't be taboo. And let's do it in a way that empowers you because I truly believe that financial independence is a birthright and we just need to understand how to go claim it. Yeah. Okay. I, I, again, I find it hard and this is just a, a feeling as opposed to any fact that, that you weren't leaning into that as much as potentially you could be. Now, are we, are we saying that since then you decided to, to be on a bigger stage, build a bigger platform, get your message out there more create a bigger audience to impact as opposed to just the people that were in your businesses or, or close to you. Is that what we're saying? I, I think there's two things. Yes, that is definitely true. But second is to, to be more frank and open about the conversations okay. to be just completely out uh, transparent about, look, we're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about the things that people don't want to look. There isn't a problem in the world that, gets solved if we don't talk about it. So if we have money issues, which is to me a symptom and not a problem, if we have money issues, then if we don't talk about them, how do we solve them? How do we empower people? How do we give them the skills? How do we give entrepreneurs the skills to not be on the treadmill and to be on the life, life wheel? And, and too often we don't do that because we're afraid to have the conversation. We're afraid to feel vulnerable. Look, I screwed things up. I've I made so many mistakes. I've lost more money than some people will ever make because I made stupid decisions. And if I'm not willing to own up to it and have those frank conversations so they can go, yeah, he's real, then I shouldn't be doing this. And, but I think we all need to, to say, look, we made mistakes. Some people didn't have an emergency fund. Some people got slammed in the pandemic. It's not, it doesn't change. It, it, it's the past. It doesn't it doesn't necessarily set your course for the future, but it certainly can set your perspective depending on how you look at it. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. 
And I think, you know, a lot of people just don't want to talk about money, right? They don't want no. to acknowledge it either, either if they've got heaps or they haven't got much. And it's such an emotive thing. Yeah. You know, I've heard it described as energy and all sorts of things before. And, and I, I agree with that to some extent. I've heard someone also explain it as being a spiritual thing, you know, measured by zeros in bank accounts. You know, I don't know where that yeah. came from, but I heard it somewhere and I thought oh, that stuck with me. But you're right. People just don't want to talk about it. And, and have, what have you found has happened as you've started to open that conversation, either one-to-one with people or one-to-many or even, even through the various, you know, platforms like your podcasts and, and things like that and speaking on stage? How have people responded to you wanting to push that in a bit more? I, I think there's there's a couple things. And this was something that I just learned in talking to someone who happened to sit in one of my presentations at one point is, like you said, it's an emotive thing. It brings some things up. And and we there there's first the level of empowerment saying, oh, it's not that complicated. It, it, it doesn't need to be complicated. I actually can, with the proper strategies and tactics, find, find you know, financial well-being, financial independence, and that type of thing. That's, that's one side of it. But the other side of it that was really intriguing to me, and, and, I, and so now I'm trying to make sure that we identify and deal with it more regularly, is that other, other times people feel guilty or embarrassed mm. about where they are and say, I should be... I should be further along. There was a young, a young gal doing phenomenally well in her business. She's 31 years old. And she sat in the audience and we happened to have a one-on-one conversations out of the blue uh, months later, actually a year later. And she says, you know, I sat in that audience. I was afraid to come up to you and have a conversation with you. And I said, why? She says, because I felt bad. I should have been further along than I was. I thought mm-hmm. just looking at the people in the room, Now I come to find out this gal is 31 years old and she's been supporting her whole family since age 26. She's doing great. I'm going, girl, I'm going to be 60. I'm twice your age. Do not compare to me, (laughs) you know? And so often we, we don't appreciate where we are and we are looking outside and we bring this embarrassment, this guilt, this shame to this idea of money and it, does, it, it doesn't belong. And it only comes from comparing ourselves to others or believing some of the, the, the junk that is out there in the media or social media, um, keeping up with the Joneses, if you will. All those things, they don't set us up for financial success because we lose our connection to contentment. We lose our connection to what's important and what actually makes us happy. And too often we think it's the stuff being a brand new granddad. And I just wrote a post about it today. Richness in life is from the experiences and the feelings and the ability to share them with the people that matter. That's beautiful. And how then, right. And I'm curious to get a little bit more practical on this for people listening. So if someone does have a blockage with this, whatever, you know, blockage using that word that they're sort of aware of, or they might probably the better way to say is they're aware of, but they're not facing into it or leaning into it. Yeah. How do you help them? So one of the things that I have them do is, is this is, is I want you to, there's, there's a difference between the facts, the money facts, what happened and the interpretation, what you made it mean. And Mm. too often 
we allow the interpretations to drive what we are. Let me give you a for instance. I was five and a half years old. And I remember sitting on a, the windowsill. We had a bay window and my dad coming home from work after a long day of work, having a conversation with my mom. And my mom wanted to do something. I absolutely do not remember what it was. But all I remember was my dad saying, we can't do that right now. We can't afford to do that right now. And in that process, mom got upset. Dad, for the first time, it's the one and only time I can remember, I saw him cry. And I saw him cry because he felt like he was letting the family down. He felt like he wasn't a good provider. And he felt just reduced and said, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. And, and that stuck with me. And, and so the facts are, they had a conversation about something they wanted. Dad said, I can't, you know, I don't think we can do it now. Mom was upset. That's the facts. Yeah. My interpretation was in, in that case, my interpretation was, I got to make sure that I have the wherewithal to take care of the people I love. Otherwise I might disappoint them. And the thought of disappointing the people I love just ways is something that I, I couldn't bear. And so I, that was my interpretation. That's what drove some of my decisions. And I could have very well interpreted that, that, you know, money is, is bad. Money is, is, is uh, manipulative, you know, those kinds of things. And it could have affected my relationships, all those things, but we don't understand that that's just interpretations. So what I have them do is I say, let's write down the story first, because it's typically the interpretation that's at the surface. Let's figure out the story. And I'll say, what's your first money trauma? What's your first memory of a money conversation? Write that down. Then I want you to write down next to it, what actually happened? What are the facts? The thing that if I put a camera to view the scenario, the lens would capture it without interpretation. And now you see the interpretation and you see the facts. And now the last piece, and this is where you start to transition, and this is to say, what else could these facts mean in the positive light? And now we start to reinterpret, mm. re-engage the story into an empowering role in our life versus and, and understanding that facts are facts. Interpretations can be on both. I have an identical twin brother, saw the same thing. The way we interpret it was vastly different. And so, so interpretations are personalized and we need to be, be aware of those stories and those interpretations. And we can, and when we can sever the interpretation from the facts, then we have the ability to insert a new meaning to move forward and, and beyond it. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, you, you just made me remember a, a situation I had where I was at a, a, um, it was a Tony Robbins event. Actually, I went to wealth mastery and, and I got on the mic, right. They got me on the mic. Oh. <laughs> And I started crying, dude. I was like, right, because we didn't exercise. And I'm like, you know, I'm Australian, right? And we're kind of like bulletproof and all that stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, we don't, we don't cry for that. You know, we, we you know, wrestle sharks and things. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, so, and I'm, I'm crying, right? And, and, and what it was is we, we went, similar to what you just described. That's why I wanted to ask the question just to see how you approached it. But it was, it was going back and thinking about things that 
I saw or experienced growing up different, different, literally stories. They were, they were, they were points yeah. in time where I saw challenges with money. And one of the stories that came up was um, I remember being in a car with my stepfather and mum, and we almost crashed the car because uh, the bank had called up and they were going to come and take the house. Oh you know? And, and th- this happened a lot. There, there, wasn't, there was a lot of stories about credit cards not being paid and people knocking on the doors like bailiffs and things like this. And I remember, I remember experiencing that all the time. And, and it took me ages to feel comfortable with any form of wealth because of that scenario. And even now, I'll be honest, you know, and vulnerable on this thing. I still struggle at times with it. I, I, I sit there and go, I'm better at it because I see it differently and I've, and I've worked on it. But it, you know what I mean? It's, it we, sort of still stays there to some extent. It's insidious and below the surface and we don't realize it. It, it yeah. limits us. Um, my book, uh, you know, The Entrepreneur's Solution, uh, we were going back and forth on the subtitle back and forth on the subtitle. And I, I did not want to use the, the, the term millionaire. I did not want to use the term millionaire because I just, I felt like it was egoic and it was just putting me out there. And, and uh, because so the, the subtitle is the modern millionaire's path to more, more profit, fans and freedom. And I, I didn't want to use the term millionaire. <laughs> I was going to so say, it's dear, there. I'm looking at it in front of me. <laughs> yeah. My dear friend, Brendan Burchard, is introduced me. So I do a lot of speaking on a stage and, and he's introducing me. Uh, and we just had this debate backstage. Yeah. And uh, so he's introducing me and he's, he's a phenomenal int- introducer. So, and he tells the audience, here's Mel. He's an entrepreneur. He's done this. He's done that. He's a, he's a multimillionaire doing the things that you want to do. And he's going to show you how to make that happen. And I go, yeah. U-S-O-B. So like I go out there, we hug, uh-huh. he whispers in my ear, he says, cat's out of the bag, now own it. And he walks off stage, I go, damn. <laughs> it's a nice intro though, from Brendan. <laughs> <laughs> How did you feel walking into that? Like, oh, you had to own it, right? There's no point when you're in front of a few thousand people, that's it, you know? At that point, you have no choice. Step into it because, uh, you know, now, like you said, the cat was out of the bag. There's nothing I could do. I said, all right. It is what it is. And there's the subtitle. <laughs> I talk about freedom, wealth, and impact. Um, and not necessarily in that order, but quite often it is. The idea that when someone first has the mindset that they're free, in other words, they don't feel constrained, quite often wealth comes after that. You feel that liberation, to use your word. And more often than not, and this is something I like to believe, is people then feel that there's a bigger impact they can make, you know, and it'd be nice if it was the other way around, like make a contribution first, like, you know, Zig Ziglar talks about and all these things. Quite often it doesn't happen that way. That's been my experience working with lots of different founders and um, and business owners. Um, but, But ultimately, as soon as you say something like that to them, you know, the eyes light up and they're like, how? You know, and that's and that's the, where I kind of want to go now in the conversation is if you're working with an entrepreneur, a business owner, and they feel trapped, you know, how do you help them become untrapped? Again, in their business, or it could also be within their mindset. You know, and I th- I truly believe that the majority of the time we feel trapped, it is in the mind. Yeah, because we can always make another choice. Um, and so what, we, what I want to do first is start to examine those things, those limiting, I, I don't like the term limiting beliefs because they just, it's just used so much, but the yeah. boundaries we place on ourselves, the, the, the boundaries of, of saying, 
well, it's never been done at this level before. I've never done it before. Well, you know what? At one point we didn't tie our shoes either. And we figured that out. So, so I think that the first thing that I want to do is examine and spend some time examining what those, again, stories and thoughts are. When we talk about wealth or we talk about money, like I said, I think money, when someone says I have a money issue, it's, it's not, a, they say I have a money problem. I said, you don't have a money problem. You have a money symptom. The symptom is showing up in your money, but it's a symptom of your behaviors and habits and your behaviors and habits are a result of your thinking. So let's figure out the thinking so we can permanently change the behaviors and habits because if with the right behaviors and habits, anyone can be free, anyone can be wealthy, anyone can do that. Now, granted, in a business, we have these things that might not be in our control, competition, legislation, pandemics, all these things. But what is in our control is our ability to respond to them, not necessarily control them. So we wanna control the decisions that we can, but be prepared for the decisions that we can't. And so the, so the first thing that I do is, is spend some time understanding what stories are keeping them held back? What's keeping them from, from that? And see if we can break the chains that, that bind them there. Second, when I do business planning for, uh, for our clients and, and with businesses and some of the boards I sit on, we'll do a business plan. And it is not a business plan to, to say this is nice and pretty and it's bound and it looks beautiful and it's got all this stuff in it. It's really a tactical strategic plan that we're going to execute on. But then once they finish the plan, I turn around and say, great, let's put it aside. Now, this pisses them off, okay? Put it aside. Let's do it again. Let's not use any of the strategies and tactics that we had in the first plan, and let's create a second plan. And they go, what? I said, do me a favor. Let's do this. And I do that two other times. So they create three plans, three alternatives. And the whole objective of it was to stretch their limitations, to stretch their thinking, to see the alternatives. I believe that entrepreneurs anticipate problems and solve them before they become real. So if we anticipate the problems and we solve them saying, hey, this didn't work, so we have these other alternatives, before we get in the rapids of problems in our business, we've already thought it through. We have three different plans and now we can mix and match to do that. And when you create alternatives in the mind of the entrepreneur, their certainty and their confidence level go up their boldness goes up and their willingness to make a decision goes up because they go, oh, I thought about that already. But too often we sit back and say, my success is dependent upon the planets lining and, and having a full moon and a new moon at the same time. Wow. I'm just taking that in. So I'm just trying to back my world of private equity. If you turned up, I'd be like, oh, free plans? Seriously, dude. Um, but, but I can see it, it, it inspires another conversation I had recently about it was an athlete who preparing for an event and there was a work, work done with this athlete on visualization, but visualization of the things that would potentially go wrong so that if they do go wrong, it doesn't then wreck the whole event. Yeah. So if you're, you know, doing a triathlon or a running race or whatever else, and you know, you, you that that first part of it isn't where you you don't hit the split that you were supposed to hit, and all of a sudden, you know, that's it, my race is gone, and and it's a very similar thing here. It's like if if you've looked at all the all the possibilities, or certainly more than one possibility, 
And when things do change, because they do, right? In business, nothing ever ends up being exactly as you plan it. You've you've already gone through that thinking and that understanding so that when something does change, you're not married to that thing you created initially. Exactly. We're married to the outcome, but not the path to get there. And yeah, great. It built the, it, it, I think about it this way. Now we've been in the Olympics um, and you know, Usain Bolt's not in there, but when Usain Bolt was training, he, he did yoga, he did bleachers, he did distance, he did sprints, he did strength training, he did stretching, he did all these things to give them the flexibility to run the race. And if we do all these plans and we anticipate the problems and find solutions before they ever become problems, it's as if we did all this training to run the race. So we are much better prepared to run the race, even when the race takes a turn that we didn't think would happen. Yeah, that, that is, I mean, all, all of my kind of clients and, and people I advise are really pissed off with me now because I'm going to say this, this guy called Mel Abraham, he, he said we need to do three plans. So guess what? You're all doing three plans now. I'll, I'll copyright it. Don't <laughs> worry, you'll get referenced. But I like the granularity of that and also the expansive thinking behind that because it kind of does two things, right? With one very, very simple, well, not simple to execute, but simple to understand idea. So we, we force you to think out, we force to think outside because the first, the first plan is going to be the obvious. Now, mm. now we, we push beyond that. Yeah. Okay. Um, I want to talk a little bit about where we are right now, <clears throat> just in terms of, you know, there's, there's potential, potential coming out of pandemics. Yeah. <laughs> Even though there's in Australia, everything's locked up again in the States. I, you know, I'm desperate to get on a plane, right? I've got so many I people waiting, waiting for me to be in the US, but hopefully uh, Biden and Johnson can get that sorted out in the next two weeks. But ha- firstly, as, as you're working with, you know, business owners, CEOs, entrepreneurs now, what sort of things are you advising based on what's just happened over the last 18 months? Are you, are you, are you, saying things like just to sort of, you know, you have to prepare for things that are more unexpected, maybe more readily, the pace of change is quicker than it's ever been. I'm just curious about how you're approaching, you know, and how you're looking forward from what we've just gone through. Well, I think that uh, it's, it's all of that in the sense that, that we've been given a wake up call if we survived it. Okay. Cause some businesses were, yeah, were in, in a situation where they just were precarious and, and they couldn't survive it. But if we survive it or we want to try and come through it, I've got one business that I'm on the board of directors of. It was founded in the late 1800s. And we, you get stuck in this pattern of operation that's worked for decades and decades and decades. And you kind of go, it is business as usual. The thing is that there's no such thing as business as usual anymore. You, you, you now know, we now know that economies can get shut down. We now, and if you would have told us this two years ago, if you and I were having this conversation, can you imagine what a moment, you know, maybe what would you do with a business if it got shut down and, and the whole economy shut down and you and I would look at each other and go, are you any mind? That would never happen. And yet here we've all experienced it. We've experienced it. And so I think that we, the success is, is momentary and it's important for us to, to sit back and say, how can we go? And as, as my dear friend, Brian Tracy says, stay in zero-based thinking. 
So to be in a constant state of reinvention, to be in a constant state of not necessarily this isn't good enough, but what could we do better? What could we enhance? What could we innovate? And what could we do differently moving forward? Because in our, in our current world, things have changed. Our ability to reach people has changed. Our ability to connect has changed. Technology is moving faster than it ever has. Uh, adaptability has seemed to have crept up and people are saying, hey, we got to do things differently. There are industries, like even the medical industry, they're sitting back saying, oh, we may not need to examine you physically. And now maybe we do this differently. Whereas before it wasn't, it wasn't even a thought. There was no thought around it. So I think that what we need to look at uh, with some of these boards that said, I want us to start asking the question, what if? Mm. What yeah. if we wanted to reinvent this from the ground up? What if? Not, not limited by how we've done it in the past. That's the tendency. So when we ask the question of what if, we, we have to put the, the filters away. And, and literally, if I'm sitting with a board, we, we will take a bunch of post-it notes and we'll pass it out to all the directors. And we'll just put brainstorm, brainstorm every idea of how we can grow revenue, create, create uh, more connection, depending on the, the context we're looking at, um, create profitability. And we just put them all on post notes and we slap them on the wall. And, and it's not until they're on the wall where we start to move them around. And it sounds a little, you know, elementary to do it this way, but it's really cool to be able to see all these different ideas, the brain dump from all the directors up on the wall. And now you sit back and say, this actually might work if we combine this with this. Zipcar was created by combining an app with hourly rental instead of daily rental and a rental car agency. They took unrelated mechanisms and said, what if we could allow people to rent cars for an hour? And people would say, no, we only do it for a day because that's the way rental car industry is. Well, guess what? Zipcar reinvented it. You know, uh, Netflix reinvented it. And if we stay complacent, like uh, Blockbuster Video and all those companies, Complacency is the first step to crisis. So if we think that our past success is all we need for our future success, crisis is coming. You just don't know what it's going to be dressed up like. So what Sorry, if? I got going. I got going. Oh, you so did? Oh, you were fired up. I wasn't going to interrupt you then. <laughs> <laughs> but the what The what if? I mean, I yeah, because I... Keith Cunningham says something about this in his book where he talks about, you know, thinking time and what's the, what's the question. And there's one of, one of the questions I love that he poses is what is it that I'm not seeing? Yeah. Oh, that's a great, isn't question. that a great question? What is it that I'm not seeing? Because it forces you, particularly if you kind of give yourself the, the space to think about that, you know, and that, that is the, the pivots, it's the left of field things. It's, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I do love that. And, and I think, you know, sometimes, you know, getting into, you've got to get the stuff out of people's heads, don't you? Right. Yeah. So you have to make it a little bit, as you said, it may sound a little bit like the thing you did at kindergarten, but there's something about that. Yeah. <laughs> the playtime that comes from that, that gets you more creative, that allows those things to come through. Yeah, without a doubt. It, it, and it's, and once they get into the exercise, it's actually a lot of fun. They're going, wow. And they feel, you know, another thing that, that Brendan says, he says, people support what they create. Yeah. They feel involved in a process. And when the ultimate creation comes together, they're all behind it because it wasn't 
top down shoved in their face and say, this is what we're going to do. It was from the bottom up, you know, grassroots grown from internal. Yeah, no, I believe that too. I'm thinking back to we, we used to do things similar in the private equity days, which was more about how you know how can we how are we going to be disrupted, right? And that would normally be from how is a competitor going to beat us, you know, as opposed to a market change, even though that's probably more more important now than it ever has been. But we used to do the same thing. It was like if you were the competitor, what would your strategy need to be to win versus us or win in the market? And that opened up all sorts of things, which you know, innovation actually which then yep. allowed the businesses that I used to work on to be able to either acquire competitors or, or think about different adjacencies to grow value. So, yeah, no, you I'm a big at, believer in that. You look at companies like um, Tesla. Mm. It was created on a what if question. What if we reinvented the autos from an electric standpoint? And, you know, and all the things that went along with it, the people saying, yeah, but you don't have the charging units. You don't have any of that. Well, you know, Elon, like him or not, was genius. He created an infrastructure of charging um, and that allows people to, so he created the infrastructure before he got the cars out there. And now, so he, he, he destroyed the, uh, the objection and he, he literally took the electric vehicle by storm. There was other electric vehicles out there, but this was a luxury or performance vehicle that actually could go across country because he set it up, but he it all started with what if the, 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 you know, the shot to space, what if, and I think that if we spend more time in that question or in Keith's question, uh, there is a, a, an immense amount of richness in innovation and ingenuity that can come from that. Yeah. Love it. So as we start to sort of finish up, I want to go back to um, what I mentioned previously, which is, you know, you survived cancer within 18 months. Yeah. So just, just, I mean, I'd love to just delve into that a bit and just hear about that whole journey and that story and, and the things that you did. Obviously we said that it changed you. We've covered that. But what about when you were in that, when you were in that part of your life? So look, two weeks before I got diagnosed. I, now I lived a healthy life. I was working out six days a week. I, I ate well, for the most part, I had a sweet tooth. Um, I was speaking on some of the biggest stages. I literally two weeks before I got diagnosed, I had just stepped off of a G5 private jet coming back from the mastermind. Life was freaking good. And I go in and they say, we found a five centimeter tumor on your bladder, which turned out to be seven and a half centimeters when they went in. And they looked at me and they said, here's the problem. It's in an odd place. It's on top of the prostate. We're going to go in. We're going to take it out. You might lose your prostate. I, we can't see the ureter on the right side. That means we might have to put a tube and a bag in for the kidney. And if it's bad, you're going to lose your bladder. And I'm like, I mean, in an instant, my life shifted. In an instant, I was petrified. I was in a dark place. I was in a a questioning place of how and why, what, what did I do to deserve this? No one in my family has ever had cancer. I, and, and, and all this, this spiraling question of why, 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 why just took me into this really bad, bad place because I couldn't find the answer. I, I had, I finally started to understand that too often we think that the why is in the past. And I asked the question, what if, Going back to what if, mm -hmm. the why is actually in the future. What if 
the reason I got cancer is for something that I'm meant to do, not because of something I did. And that's what got me to start saying, okay, if that's the case, then what do I need to do? First, I need to heal from the cancer. Now, I, I had fought competitively uh, as a martial artist for a while. And when I fought competitively, I had a, pe- a group of people in my corner, my strength man, my hands, uh, my footwork guy. I had all these people that got me strong for the ring. And so I said, well, this is another fight. I'm getting in the ring to fight the battle of my life and a fight for my life. So I sat with my doctors, my surgeon, and I said, I'm going to hit this with everything I got. Um, the beautiful thing is that Financially, I was in a position to make choices without worrying about will the doc, will the insurance pay for it or not. I, I was okay to be able to do that. And I said, so I had, I brought in holistic doctors. I was doing Qigong. I was doing acupuncture. I was doing chiropractics. I was doing um, uh, uh, thermal, thermal blankets. I was doing nutrition I, I, and Western medicine and surgeons and all of those things and said, we need to go at it. Now, one of the first things that I did is I had to be committed to it. And they said, sugar is the fuel is one of the fuels for cancer. Now I had a sweet tooth. And so I, I had to break my connection with sugar. So June 13th, 2019, I haven't had sugar, at least that I know of since that day. And I went on a three day on that day, I went on a three day water fast to break the connection with sugar and say, I'm not gonna have sugar. So I haven't had sugar, grains or dairy and in doing that. And then every day during this first part of it, every day I would go down to the beach, I live on the beach, I would go down the beach, I'd get in the ocean. Then I would get on the rocks after being in, in the water for a while. And I had meditation and visualization in my ear and I would sit on the rocks for 20 minutes seeing the healing, seeing the strengthening, seeing all of that. Then I would walk back up to the house. It would be dinner time. By that time, my wife would have dinner and we would have this nice relaxing evening and I would do another visualization before I went to sleep. And so we attacked it at every level with everything I had. My surgeon said, I've never seen any of my patients go at it the way you did. And I said, once I I dusted myself off, from the, the fear and, and, and um, the dark place and said, all right, this is the hand I've been dealt. We've all been dealt a hand. Wherever we are today, we've been dealt the hand. Like I said, I could have wallowed in the pain and the problems and woe is me. But I wasn't going to solve it. And I loved life too much to let it go. And so I said, how are we going to attack it? And now you put a plan together, no different than an entrepreneur. You put a plan together, you put a team together and you say, let's go after it. Let's, let's go get it as, as best we possibly can. I don't know, you know, what's in store for me. And, and uh, they found, they took two tumors out. The first surgery, second surgery, I've had three surgeries. And I went through some treatments. They found another tumor and it was, I went back into the dark place a little bit. And then I got to me and I said, well, wait a second. I know what the outcome is. And if I have the certainty of the outcome, I know what my outcome is. And if we as entrepreneurs, as we as individuals say, this is the life I want, this is the life that is my outcome. And we say that is with, with certainty, then the only thing that's unknown is the journey to get there. 
and that I'm willing to do whatever it takes to have that outcome. And if they told me I had to run 10 miles with a pit bull on my heels to get rid of it, I would figure a way to do it, but I had to be committed to the outcome first and not the path to get there. And so when I realized that, I said, so the journey is the only unknown and the journey will unfold each day. And as the journey unfolds, I'll make a new decision for that outcome. And I sat back and go, that's actually not a whole lot different than just life itself. I happen to see that I have cancer and that I had to heal it and I had to go through it. But the fact of the matter is we all commit to an outcome. We don't know what the journey is going to be like, and we have to let it unfold on a daily basis. No different than what I had to do, but I had to stay true to the outcome each and every day. um, So three surgeries, four tumors, 37 treatments. Uh, As of this past April, one year clear uh, with cancer. I have to still go in. Um, In September, I go in for another round of treatments. These are preventative treatments uh, to keep the cancer away because it's a high reoccurring cancer and we're, we're treating it very aggressively and on a prevention and detection standpoint and another scope in November. But we, we beat it down. We beat it down. We got rid of it. And, uh, and the doctors are, are floored at what we've done. But I'm not let loose on anything. Still no sugar, still no grains, still no dairy. But I still am fun. It sounds like I'm not, but I still am fun. I'm sure. No, I, no, no. Goddamn. First, that was. <laughs> I mean, because my, my my father passed away from prostate cancer um, in his late 60s, and 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 it was very aggressive. And I'm always very, you know, whenever I hear stories like that, I'm always just super super in um, concentrating on kind of what you're saying. But um, wow. I mean, and and in terms of, but I, I get the sense, you know, after spending you know the time with you today, that even before you encountered that that challenge, if you like, you know, you already had the mindset dialed in. You already had, let's call it the strategic approach dialed in because yeah. you were doing it in other areas. Now, obviously this is yeah. a bigger challenge and it's got a hell of a lot more emotion to it. I totally get that. Yeah. Uh, you just adopted the same approach. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. And I think, you know, a lot of it, I credit towards, you know, the 40 plus years of martial arts training and some of the things that I went through there and, the power of the mm-hmm. mind and then commitment and discipline and, uh, and, and everything. Even my friends, we go out to, to a Mexican place and, and when they order the guacamole, they get the chips. But my friends now say, hey, can you do me a favor? Can we bring some cucumbers and carrots for my buddy? Because <laughs> he doesn't eat the chips. But they it know it. Better. And they taste better anyway like that anyway with some carrots. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just... I don't know. You know, the thing for me that saddened me when it happened initially was that I just loved life and I was not ready to let it go. And, and now I look at it and go, I got a little granddaughter, Emily right now. And I have a responsibility to, to take care of another generation. And it's a, it's a responsibility. It's a gift. It's an honor. And I intend to be around for a long, long time. The the thing I want to underline from what you said overall was, you know, that, that, point of the what if question what if what if you know it, it, what's meant to happen is in the future you know yeah. and i think i just want to draw a line under that for everyone listening here a because they're going to be inspired by your story and everything we've talked about for the last 60 minutes or so but but more importantly that that reframing you know and and believing in that reframing and then committing to action trusting the process that's the secret to a lot of success yeah for me, you're, you're, you just hit it on the head. I mean, if all they did was 
was realize that that we have the power of defining the why in the future. It changes mm-hmm. why we do everything. And you sit back and you look at your show, you look at the things that you do, and you're looking and say, we're creating the why in the future. It doesn't have to be in the past. And, and the beautiful thing about that is we get to define it. It's the, the why in the past is the wake of the ship, but you are actually controlling the rudder when you look forward. And now we control the direction. Mel, it has been an absolute pleasure. You know what? I haven't even asked you, asked you the most important question, which is what actually is the entrepreneur's solution? <laughs> oh, you know what? But you know what? That, that, that's kind of like, that's like the, the, the headline there is go buy the book. <laughs> go buy the book. <laughs> I think people have heard enough um, from you and the way you approach not just business, but life today that uh, they're going to be inspired to do that. Um, you've also got your podcast as well, which I can see is behind you there. The Affluent Entrepreneur um, Show. Yeah. And where can people, if they want to reach out to you um, to say thank you or anything like that, where can they reach you? Uh, they can find me on uh, on Instagram, Mel Abraham nine. I have no idea who the eight, the other eight are, but we'll hunt them down. Um, I love the fact that you actually own that too, because some some people who are very kind of successful and have a have a, a platform would go, I want to be just Mel Abraham. I don't want to. <laughs> It's like I'm Nick. I'm Nick B nineteen seventy four, which is obviously with the year I was born. But you know, I, I like that. That's my email address. All right. <laughs> Sorry, I cut you off. So Mel Abraham nine on Instagram, and then you've got your website, which is my, my website, melabraham.com. And then I'm on, and I'm on Facebook and, and YouTube also. So, I mean, anywhere. And I'd love to love to hear from them. If they have questions, if they have anything, you know, one, I, I'll bring it on the show or I'll, I'll, I'll respond. Um, we solve problems. We change lives through conversations one at a time. And I think that's the beautiful thing about what you're doing, Nick, and, and how you do things. And, and I think that's what our society needs. It's not the rest of the other stuff that's around us in the media and the social media, but let's let's do it at the grassroots level, shoulder to shoulder as individuals and humanity. I love it. Well, listen, as I said, I'm very, very grateful for your time and appreciative of you coming on the show. Um, I had a look at your podcast before the show. There's 20 or so good episodes there of you just giving value. So definitely go and have a look at that and also um, your YouTube channel. But I uh, just want to say a big thank you, Mel. It's been a pleasure. Thanks very much for coming on the show today. Hey, mate, thanks for having me. This has been great. And uh, we're going to get you on my show now. You're on. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Scale Up with Nick Bradley. If you've enjoyed the show just as much as I've enjoyed creating it for you, then I'd really appreciate you leaving a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, why not subscribe to the channel so you never miss a future episode? It really helps me. It helps the show. Plus, it makes it easier for others to access the content that I'm producing week in and week out. And finally, if you want more information about anything that you heard in today's show, to find out how you can join our community on Facebook or to find out how you can get get more help in scaling up your business and your life, click the link in the show notes now.